Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ. As I've been thinking about the last couple months, it's made me realize that we have become major consumers of storytelling. I mean, just think back over the last few months, think about all the TV shows that you've watched or the series that you've binge watched or the things that you've been looking for. Stories to help take you through this time where we've been locked up in our own homes. You know, the interesting thing about like, TV shows or series is that they basically draw us into the lives of strangers and we can spend years following these fictional lives around knowing where they like to eat or what their favorite drink or ice cream is. Like, it's pretty crazy if you think about it. We are consumers of storytelling. In 2019 alone, people all over the world spent $42.2 billion going to the movies. And what is a movie other than a story that helps us escape from real life? And just take a look at some of the, the Best Picture nominees from this last year that tell us how across the board our appetite for storytelling really is. I mean, there was... Ford versus Ferrari, which tells you about how Carol Shelby and race car driver Ken Miles wanted to design a car that could beat a Ferrari at the 1966 Le Mans. And then there was the movie uh, Jojo Rabbit, where a young boy with his imaginary friend Hitler helps a young Jewish girl hide in World War II. Or Little Women, you know, it was the 1860s and Joe looks back on her and her three sisters, Massachusetts childhoods and the events that helped shape them. There were stories, there were boys, there were dances. And then of course, there was the one that won it all, Parasite. Which one description reads like this, greed, class discrimination, and a mysterious interloper threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. Now, I'm sure that makes complete sense to you, but I hear it's a great movie. We even find stories in, well, in music. One of a, the songs that has long been considered a, a story is American Pie by Don McLean. It was released in 1971 and was number one in the US for four weeks, topped the charts in Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. And the song is 8 minutes and 37 seconds long. We know that it started the day the music died, which seems to be a reference to the deaths of Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens in a plane crash in 1959. But what the rest of the story is about is kind of up for debate. But something you may not know is that this year, Bob Dylan, one of the most prolific songwriters of all time, had his first number one on a billboard chart. And this song that became number one this year is a song called Murder Most Foul. It's about the assassination of JFK and it clocks in at a brisk 17 minutes. That's a long song, but it tells a story. And if songs can tell a story, we're into it. And of course, I mean, there's books. Uh, people do still read most of the time. Harry Potter, for example, has sold more than 500 million books worldwide in over 80 languages. 
I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's a lot of books. Uh, the Da Vinci Code alone is the number one fiction selling book of all times, and it has sold 5,094,805 copies. That's a lot of copies. Now, I'm going to give you some really free storytelling advice. You don't have to pay me for this. I mean, if you want to put a check in the mail, that's fine. But this is free to you. Coming from someone who does have to be somewhat of a storyteller in the work that I do. So here you go. Free to you. When you are telling a story, you need to know what kind of story you're telling and what the story is about. I know, if you want to take a moment to find something to write that down, I'll be happy to give you a second. Uh, let me just say it again. When you are telling a story, you need to know what kind of story you are telling and what the story is about. But beyond that, what you are saying needs to have a point, and you need to know what the point is. Is the story you're telling, I mean, is it supposed to be funny? Is it informative? Are people supposed to learn something from it? What is it they're supposed to learn? Now, I know this really seems obvious, but the number one best-selling book in the world throughout time is, of course, the Bible. Five billion copies of the Bible have been bought and distributed. And as I think about that and I consider what that means, that five billion copies of the Bible are in distribution or out there, it, it strikes me as crazy that, you know, people have come away from the Bible with such different stories. And maybe it's because they've been told a story from someone who's read the Bible or maybe they read the Bible and came up with something else, or maybe they even have identified that the Bible is about how you believe about this, that, or the other, or what stance you take and on this issue or that issue. Uh, in a nutshell, boiled down to its simplest form, the Bible contains a story of God and his people and all of the ups and downs within that relationship. It's, it's an epic story of huge proportions the greatest story ever told. But at the center of this story, the Bible, there is another story. It's the gospel. The gospel is at the center of the story. I, we even divide the Bible into the Old Testament and New Testament based upon the introduction of the gospel. Now, what does the gospel say? We looked at this passage last week, but we're going to look at it again from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. 
This is the gospel pretty much in its entirety, the root of what we believe, that Jesus is the Son of God, he died, was buried, and he rose again. And this is kind of the point of the story. This is the foundation that the Christian life is built upon. And most everything else that we see within the New Testament is a commentary on these ideas and what this message means to us. But there's a problem that I have with this being the story. And if, it, if this is the heart of what the entire message is about, what do you notice about it? Well, it describes to us God's actions and what Jesus did. But it doesn't really say a whole lot else about what the gospel is and what kind of story it is. So maybe we would feel better if we added another passage to this story. So how about John 3, 16 through 17? I mean, this is one that we all know. We all have it memorized. It's at football games, all that stuff. But it, it helps us because it takes us a little bit deeper into what the gospel story is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, these verses are valuable to us telling the story of the gospel because if that Corinthian passage kind of describes what it was that God did, this John passage describes to us the motivation behind what God did, that God loved the world, that he loved humanity, and that by sending Jesus to this place, he offers us eternal life. He gives us forgiveness of our sins. And it brings perspective to the gospel story that we need. And it's powerful that God would do this for his people and that he loves us so much. And then, of course, from this point, we can launch into what the gospel means. Well, I mean, the gospel means that everyone needs a savior, that all have sinned, all have fallen short, that, that God loves everyone and this is in spite of their failures. And that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are all brought into a new and different relationship with God. And we see this as, again, we saw last week in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are just by freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So this takes us a little bit further in and explains why the gospel is necessary but the problem is, I'm still missing something in the story. So, I can explain what it is that God did. And I can explain God's motivation. And I can explain why everyone needs this. But haven't I then just done a lot of explaining? And 
Doesn't that make the gospel message some sort of intellectual exercise that I try to trade off with someone to convince them to think a certain way? I, I mean, is that, is that the kind of story that the gospel is? Or is there still something missing? It occurs to me that all of that, while true and valuable and good and things that need, people need to understand, that the story cannot just sit there at that point. And isn't this where we leave it so often? This is what God did. This is why he did it. This is why you need him. There you go. But that's not really the story. That's not really the story that the gospel is telling. And the thing about it is that the gospel needs to be applied in order for it to reach its fullness. It needs to encounter someone's life. And when the gospel encounters someone's life and changes that life, that then becomes the story, the fullness of the message that someone is discovering, not these facts or things, but for the first time that God loves them more than anyone ever has. That God loves them more than anyone ever has. Which, again, takes us back to what kind of story the gospel actually is. And here's what I want to suggest to you today. The gospel is a story that is alive. If you watched the introduction from Friday, you saw this modeled in John chapter 4. There was a woman at the well. And she had a terrible life story. She was married five times. And she was living with someone who was not her husband. She was a part of a race of people who were looked down upon by the Jews and not allowed to worship God. She had gone out of the way to get water from a well that was not the closest well to her town. And she went in the middle of the day instead of in the evening when it was going to be the most hot. This woman did not want to be around other people because other people had already made up their minds about her and the mess that her life already was. And then she met Jesus, the, the embodiment of the gospel. And by the time that day was over, her story had changed because she was no longer this minority woman who's Life was a complete mess that everyone judged and looked at. Instead, she was someone who had met the Savior, and he had offered her living water, which would fill her so she would never be thirsty again. And through this woman, this entire town, this entire town, is converted to believe in Jesus Christ because the story that she takes back to them. And this is not unique to John 4. We, we see this happen over and over again through the life of Jesus. 
Just look at Luke 19, verses 1 through 7, the story of a wee little man. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus was a man that you didn't want to spend time around. He was a tax collector, and what Rome did was they pulled people from these cities and cultures that they had conquered, and they made those people their tax collectors. And they told these people that they could collect whatever tax they wanted to on top of the tax from Rome and keep that. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which meant that he had made a fortune, a fortune by stealing from his people. And they all knew it. They all knew it. Here was this guy who had the finest clothes, the best home, the best food, and all of that was built on the backs of his people as they were subjected to the dictatorship of Rome. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that you accept someone when you're sitting with them at the well. It's another thing to say that you're willing to go to their home. And good Jewish people at the time did not associate with people like Zacchaeus. They wouldn't have associated with the woman at the well. And they certainly would never have gone to their home. You did not go to the homes of people like this. It was a problem for those who believe in God. But doesn't this tell us something really important about God? Look, maybe your life is a mess. Maybe you've made a million poor choices. Maybe you have closed every door behind you. Maybe everyone hates you and looks down on you. And maybe you can't see the way back, the way to make up for what your life has become or what you've done. And perhaps even the church isn't helping you do that. Because those people who know God the most are not telling you you can come back or showing you the way. But when we look at this story, how does God deal with those who have done wrong? Jesus invites himself into the mess. He goes into Zacchaeus' home. Jesus is the happy guest of sinners. There is nowhere that Jesus would rather be than in the home or the heart of someone who knows how bad they've messed up. 
this is where Jesus is most comfortable. Because Jesus, Jesus is a house cleaner. He doesn't expect the house to be perfect when he comes into it. Instead, he helps you identify where the messes are and what you can clean up and what you can do. And then he helps you do it and he walks you through this process. And what was intended to be an insult by those who were watching ended up being the greatest insight into what Jesus was doing. He is the guest of sinners. And then Jesus does something for others that no one else will do. And it's that he gives people a chance to change. The world is full of places that won't let you forget anything. It's full of people that will never give you a second chance where your bad decisions will always define you for a lifetime. And Jesus knows the mistakes we've made. He knows them better than anyone else. But Jesus sees us as lost, not as a lost cause. He knows that we need a way out of the life that we have created and he opens the door for us. He wants us to be able to change and he wants to give us every opportunity to become someone different. And we see this happen in these stories. We see this happen in these stories. Look what happens to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. These, these people have been written off. But listen to this. Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. We cannot begin. We cannot begin to understand what it was that Jesus did for Zacchaeus. I mean, look at those words again. Uh, Zacchaeus promised to turn everything around to to give everything back, to give half of his possessions to the poor, to honor the law by doing that, to pay back everyone he had cheated. But Jesus' response to this is what changes the story. Because he not only says that salvation has come to this house, declaring to anyone that would listen that Zacchaeus is not defined by the things he has done wrong, he also says he is a son of Abraham, restoring him back to relationship with his people and relationship with God. He gives Zacchaeus back what no one else would or could give him. And, and the woman at the well, she ran back into town to, to tell everyone about Jesus, and she said, Come and meet the man who told me everything I have ever done. And this story, which was the story she never wanted anyone to hear, has all of a sudden changed because she comes and she says, he knows everything that I have done and he could be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
because Jesus allowed her story, gave her the opportunity for her story to change. She was no longer the woman who had failed across the board. She was the woman who had met Jesus. And through her, as I said, her entire town was saved. Her entire town came to believe in who Jesus was. This is the gospel story. The gospel story is not an idea. It is the power of God worked out in a life. The world is full of people who are overcome with anger, guilt, and despair, especially now. They're people who have been marginalized because of where they live or how much money they make or what kind of car they drive or the color of their skin. This world is full of people where every mistake is held against them and they have nowhere to go. And the church too often has not been a haven for these people as if they had to figure out and fix everything that was wrong before they could come and be a part of the body of Christ. But the gospel story could not tell a story more different. Because the gospel story tells a story of a God who sees us as we are. Who has something to offer us, who comes into our house and into our mess. And in that space, he eats with us. He talks to us. He sees us. People need this God. People need to know this Jesus. But don't be mistaken. This is the gospel. It is life. It grows strong and healthy in the lives of those who encounter it. It changes from being a story about something God did or something God thought to what God is doing and lives that are changed because of the work of God in their lives. The gospel is alive and it needs a life. It needs a life to bring the story to its fullness. We are a part of that story. And our job is to take this story to the world. That God changes us. That God comes into our space. That God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And it happens one story, one life at a time. Thank you for being with us here today. 
May the gospel speak into your life, into who you are, into what you're searching for. And may the love of God overwhelm all the doors that have been closed.